You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. All right, good morning. Hey, help me out this morning, and we're going to do something together, okay? Here we go. I'm going to try to angle the mic so you can hear me just a little bit, but I want you to clap with me, okay? So I'm going to count to three, and so you're going to have to put down your notes and your coffee just for a second. We're going to have a little bit of fun, a little calisthenics this morning to wake us up, I guess. So I'm going to count to three, and what I want us all to do is when I say one, two, and on three, clap, okay? Can we practice that? Ready? One, two, three. Excellent. Let's do it again, can we? One, two, three. Okay, excellent. One, two. How come some of you followed me when I clapped on two? You know why you did that? Because we actually follow what we see, not what we hear. We're talking about parenting. And one of the things I'm learning about parenting is my kids follow what they see not what they hear. And that is a good and a bad thing. Because my kids are watching what they see mom and dad do, and they're taking that as the example of what they are going to do. And what happens is if I'm doing right, well, that's great. But if I'm doing wrong, what happens now? The next generation and the next generation, what they, my kids saw in me, they're going to pass it on from generation to generation. And you wonder today, especially why we have so many uh, things that you just say, what happened to our country? Why, why does it seem like just getting an employee to show up on time is kind of a big deal? It's like, you know, it's almost like you have to do employee of the month just for the one guy who shows up on time. I was raised in a generation that on time means you're early, but that's long gone. I had a meeting with somebody this week who's notorious for being late. So he was texting me, oh, I'm going to be late. And I was like, I knew he was going to be late. So I didn't leave till 15 minutes late. And he was still late. So it's one of those where what happened to a basic thing as simple as on time? Or what about this? You hire somebody or you work with somebody and you're paid to work for eight hours. But yet they were like, hey, we're supposed to get a 45 minute to an hour lunch. Let's make an hour 15, hour and a half. No, who's to know? You know, supposed to take a 10 minute break. Ah, let's take a 30 minute break. And we just live in that culture, though, don't we? Uh, you, you work at a retail store, and they're supposed to count up the till at the end of the day, right? And the till is supposed to match up. The register is supposed to match up. There should be a printout that says, here's how much money should be in this till, and it's your job to make sure the two balance, right? And at the end of the day, you say, oh, it's not balancing quite right, so I know how to make it balance. I'll work the numbers. I'll change this. I'll change that. And then I'll take a $20 with me, and I'll, and I'll take off. You know, employee theft, and uh, they call it shrinkage in the uh, retail world, is one of the leading causes why uh, your prices goes up. You say, why is milk so expensive, or why is a t-shirt so expensive? You know, the leading cause is not inflation. It's actually because employee theft is so high that the company has to make it back up somehow, and you, the consumer, that bill gets passed on to you. But that goes back to something. It goes back to they saw a pattern at home, or they saw something somewhere, and they heard 
don't steal. They heard, don't lie. They heard, be honest. They heard, be kind. But they saw something totally different. What they saw was lying. What they saw was cheating. What they saw was stealing. So it didn't matter what we said as parents because they saw something else. And that should kind of level us as parents, that our children are watching, our grandchildren are watching. And some of us, we're spiritual parents to young people, and they are watching. And so we're now what I would call a character crisis, aren't we? A crisis of character, where you see people that are public figures, politicians, uh, CEOs of companies, people in business, people that are leaders, and you can't trust them to be honest anymore. You don't know if they're actually telling you the truth. And why is it so widespread? And we know it's widespread, but yet we don't know what to do with it. We don't know. What happened? That How did we get to a culture crisis where there's a crisis of character? That's what it comes down to. That you're, you're supposed to show up at 8 o'clock in the morning. You're like, ah, 8, 15, 8, 20, it's not a big deal. But I'll just, I'll tell my buddy, hey, clock me in like I was there at 8. The boss will never know. They'll never know. They're going to know. They'll never know. Yeah, I like the TikTok vines and stuff like that. That's kind of fun to watch. But in our country, we've got a hard time. Those are just the basic ones. Did you know a recent study that they polled the students, and they did a large study, and they polled the students, and they said, we're going to figure out how many students cheat. Students. They, they took uh, elementary, middle school, high school, and college, and they just ran the gambit, and they said, let's find out how many, how many people cheat. It was startling when they got the statistics. 80% of the children said, or, or, or of the students said they cheated. 80%. And you know what happened now? It's not just that 80% cheat. It's they felt that incredible pressure to cheat. If you're a high schooler today and your parents are like, hey, you need to get into this really good school, you know the pressure it puts on a kid? And then we've elevated performance as the industry standard is the God that, hey, just perform. It doesn't matter if you have to cut corners. It doesn't matter if you have to be dishonest. It doesn't matter. Just, just, just produce, just perform. And so what they're thinking is like, well, mom and dad want me to get a 4.0 so I can get into that school, so I guess I got to cheat. And 80% cheat. And we think, well, the cheating will stop when they get out of school. It never stops because they got away with it. And if they get away with it, what happens? It just keeps going. And so 80% of students say they cheat. That's a character crisis. 80% of our young people are cheating. I went to an ACE school. That was called an accelerated Christian education, okay? It's supposed to be the school of tomorrow. Well, it's the school of never should have been is what it was. And you would go to school, and all grades were in one room, and we had a little thing. They were called offices. You're saying, that's cool. Your school had offices. No, it was these cubicles that, honestly, they came back during COVID, okay? Because we had a partition here, and I had a partition here, and I stared at a wall, and I had what was called the score chart. And instead of having uh, my books that were really big for the year, they called them paces, okay? And you would get these paces, and you would do your own work. And it was supposed to be like... Like you were supposed to kind of self-govern yourself and do the work, except that you would have to score your work. There wasn't a teacher. There's no teacher. You had to be self-motivated. This is the worst school for a guy like me because I have no self-motivation, okay? I could just sit there all day and like, this is great, man. This is cool. I just sit here. I don't have a teacher ask me any questions. I just stare at a wall, you know, and nobody there, right? And then you would score your work. So you'd raise your American flag, very patriotic school. You put a little American flag up, and then they would come over to your, your office, and they'd say, yes, Makai, go ahead and score your work. Well, you take your booklet that you just worked on, and then you walk over to the scoring desk, and you pull out a book with all the answers for the entire booklet. I'm thinking, 
I have this pace, and this book has all the answers for this. Ha, so convenient. Page after page, just fill that in. Oh, okay, next page, fill that in. Next page. Like, Makai, you're scoring for a long time. Yeah, I'm filling in all the answers. I'm cheating. But at the time, I can claim ignorance. I didn't know that that was cheating. I just thought, hey, this is the way smart kids do it. You know, just, just, it was natural, right? So some of this is just natural for us just to kind of cut corners because why? We've got this thing called the flesh and we've got this thing that we need to deal with. So we have this character crisis, but how are we developing character in our children specifically? And there's three things we need to focus on. And you can write this down if you want to. We need to focus on their head, their heart, and their hands. Because character affects all three. Because everything that is outside or unhealthy character originally started in our head. That, hey, I could cheat. I could get away with it. So how are you building character in your child's head, their heart, and in their hands? This is, this is in, in, in important. There was the, when I grew up, uh, uh, I grew up, I was born in the 80s, child in the 90s. But I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons. I wasn't allowed to watch uh, Full House. I wasn't allowed to watch anything that was on TV. So my parents took me back a generation. So what was I allowed to watch? I was allowed to watch old TV shows like uh, Leave It to Beaver, I Love Lucy, Gunsmoke, F Troop. Uh, But my favorite show, I, I watched Bonanza, The Lone Ranger. The old black and white, okay? And you're thinking, man, is this guy preserved from like 1940s or something? No, no, no. My parents just didn't like what was on TV, so they said you could watch this stuff. But my favorite show was, was The Rifleman with Chuck Connors. Man, just the opening of that show, how he could, he could flip the rifle and everything. I was like, oh, that's cool. I know many parents are like, oh, the pastor's talking about rifles. I know, I'm sorry, and everything. But to me, I was like, that's the coolest thing. It's what started my love for wanting to be a cowboy. It's because of Chuck Connors. And then he had his son, Mark. And man, he had to teach. Every episode was so good because every episode was a character trait that he wanted his son to learn. And Chuck Connors... The actor there, he, he had this, uh, this, this important drive, and the show was written around this idea that we're going to teach children a character trait. Try doing that now. TV's not teaching our children about character traits anymore, about uh, respecting authority, about honoring, and things like that. So now we do have what I would call a character crisis. So how do we as parents, grandparents, or soon-to-be parents deal with it? Well, we're using an illustration, and we're using it called the home run life because we want our children to score a home run. And last week, we started with home plate, and we said that home plate was all about connecting with God. So we said we need to connect with God. And then we said first base, this first base, we said this is going to be about character because our children need to learn character. And outside of sports, where are children learning character? It should be the home, but if mom and dad are too busy working all these jobs and hours, and, and we're forced to, aren't we? We live in the Silicon Valley. I, I, I was talking to somebody, they were like, oh, I'm thinking about moving out there. And I was like, uh, have you checked at the, in, the rent and the increase in the home prices? It's not easy. And so we said, hey, we need to build a character, but not just character. We also said every child needs good community. They need a good set of friends. Your friends will make you and break you. One person put it like this. Friends are like elevator buttons. They take you up or they take you down. And this doesn't stop even with adults. Some of you know the peer pressure. It's so strong. If you are raising a child that's going to follow the rules, there is another child that will shame them for following the rules. You understand that, right? And that's our culture. We punish 
the right doers, not the wrong doers anymore. And then we said third base is competence. And I'm going to actually spell it because I've been practicing this week on how to write competence. And this is what we're looking for is a home run life for our children. We want them to connect with God. And then we want them to have character. You know what character is? And, and don't dive too much in this. But this really is knowing how to properly love yourself. Now, proper self-love in a healthy way. We could take that to an all kind of unhealthy extreme, Oprah Winfrey, this thing. And that's not what we're talking about. Because if you know how to respect and value yourself as God values you, then guess what? You will respect and value somebody else. Because I cannot give to you what I don't have inside. And we're going to talk about that. And it's based on this healthy self-esteem. And healthy self-esteem is actually tied to healthy restraint. And look at children today. Do you see healthy restraint? No, you don't. You see unhealthy restraint. Many of us will fault China, but yet there's one thing that China just did that I'd agree with. Three hours of video games a week. That's what they're mandating for all the children. Three hours a week. Some of your parents are like, my kids are three hours a day. And, and isn't that part of the problem, though? And so we understand we've got to connect their character, but then we've got to have healthy community. So it's love God, love ourself, love others. We're losing that today. We're, we're losing that in our country. We're losing it in our churches. We're losing it in our neighborhoods. We need to know our neighbors, care about our neighbors. You say, well, they vote differently, look differently. They act differently. They, uh, they do things differently. Excellent. What a great mission field. We're to love them. This is so key, but we're losing it in our country how to love others that don't agree with us. That is the test of real love. That you could say, hey, I disagree with that person. But guess what? I can love them and be a friend to them and have a great relationship. And then competence, that's love what you do. Your children should love what they do. And so let's dive into God's word this morning on this. Because we're going to talk about first base. This is character, how to love yourself. Let's go to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. And I love this passage of scripture for so many reasons. It has to do with one of the most famous Bible characters, but I love one particular verse that we're going to dive into. Let's begin reading 1 Samuel 16, verse number 1. The Bible says this. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, because I have chosen a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears about it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will let you know what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one who I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord told him and came to Bethlehem. Then the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? And he said, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is standing before him. What was he saying in verse number six? Here's Samuel saying, look at this guy. Tall, handsome, strong, rugged jaw. Man, look at those biceps. That's the next king. And notice what God says in verse number seven. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God does not see as man sees, since man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, can you say it, church? Heart. The heart. And that's what's so 
tough about character. I went to a Christian college, and we had a dean that always said, it's all about character. Man, you got to have character. And he was from uh, uh, just Virginia, so he was West Virginia, actually. So he's a country boy, and he'd always say, character, you need character. you got to have character. Date a woman with character. Make sure she's got character. And then he would try to set you up with people. And you'd tell the dean, and you'd be like, his last name was Weaver. And you'd say, hey, uh, Dean Weaver, look, I'm sure she's a great girl, but I can't kiss character. Look at him and be like, hey, I just, <laughs> it took you a little while, right? It just took a little while. It's like, hey, I know what you're saying about character. But characters, you can't see it all the time. Character is one of those things that you just know it when it's there and you know it when it's absent. You can tell the employee, you can tell the child that has character. Because I think every once in a while, God does gift parents with that one special child that doesn't need an alarm clock, that doesn't need to be reminded to do their homework, doesn't need to be reminded to go and take out the trash, doesn't need to be reminded to pick up after the dog. I think that is God's miracle to every parent. He always gives you at least one, okay? Now, if you only have one child, then keep praying for more until you get that one child. Like, this is the model child, all right? Why couldn't I start it with this? But we all, they, there's always one okay you get one all right so if you're a new parent just hang in there there's going to be that one that's going to be that but when it comes to character every child is born a character but they're not born with character every child is unique and different and they're fun their life there's something unique and special about every child but they're not born with character No child says, oh, I should set my alarm clock at 6 in the morning. I need to do my workout. I need a healthy breakfast. Uh, Not the sugary cereal, Mom. I actually need uh, the the whole wheat. I need something with bran in it, good fiber. And then, you know, the milk we're drinking is not organic, Mom. And, you know, I'm gluten-free. And, you know, we should probably just go total vegan, actually. You know, it's good for everybody. We just just need to be healthy. And, And you're just like, no, that has to be taught. That has to be taught. And instead, we want it, but who's teaching it? And it falls to us to teach it. And God is saying here, hey, look, you're looking at the outward Samuel, but there's something deeper you need to look for. And so we continue reading. The Bible says this, verse 8, Then Jesse called to Benedict, and he had him pass before Samuel. But he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse and Shammah passed by, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. So Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the boys? And he said, The youngest is still left, but behold, he is tending the sheep. So Samuel said to Jesse, Send word and bring him, for we will not take our place at the table until he comes here. So he went and sent word and brought him. Now he was reddish with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel set out and went to Ramah. You see, character is like your front yard. Say, what do you mean? Every one of you that has a front yard, there is something growing in that front yard. Either intentionally or unintentionally. Some of you say, yeah, I got those weeds I got to pull. It's just kind of running wild. You got a jungle. Others of you, you're like... I have AstroTurf, thank you very much. But you got something growing there. And we have to be diligent. There is something growing in our children. Is it good character or is it unhealthy character? 
Is it a character that you're going to be proud of one day? Or is it the character that you say, you know what? I'd be embarrassed if this continues. Let me ask you a question. Wherever your children are at and whatever stage of maturity they're at, are you proud of how they're developing? Are you proud of how they're growing and where they're going? Because it's up to us. It's, it's our responsibility. I know you say, well, I put them in Ridge Kids, and I want to get them in a youth group and in Christian school. Understand, God puts the priority on the parents to raise the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So how does God form character? And I'm going to give you two really quick and really simple. Three ways God forms your character. He uses pressure, problems, and people to form your character. Those are the three things that God will use, and he even does it in our children. He uses pressure. You say, why does God use pressure? Because character is not formed in comfort. I wish that my kids could learn character and rising early by sleeping in, but that's not how they're going to learn it. My kids will learn character by going to bed early so they can wake up on time. That's where they're going to learn character. And yet today we have elevated how can I keep my kids comfortable? How can I keep them happy? And so today parenting has all become everything about the experience that our child has. And I believe this is born out of good intention because many of us did not have the parenting that we know we should have had. Maybe we had a rough parent, an absentee parent, uh, or, or your life was a little bit on the dysfunctional side. And so you're trying to make up for it in your children. You're trying to say, hey, I want to give them every experience that I never had. The only problem is you are focused on experience when God wants you to focus on example, to be that good example. David is a young boy here, and where is he? Is he at the feast? No, he's in the field. But how many times is it when you go over to somebody's house, you see the mother or the father doing the cooking, the cleaning, the homework, and doing everything, and you're like, uh, did the child do anything around here? Oh, no, 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 they just go to school. That's, that's it, I do everything else. Wait a minute, where are they learning those characteristics that are only found in the field? Yeah, it's one thing to be at the feast, and look, everybody was fine with coming to the feast, except for David. Why wasn't David at the feast? Scripture doesn't tell us explicitly But he had a shepherd's heart, and a shepherd says, I'm not leaving the sheep to go to a feast. I have a responsibility. And today, we are not giving our children responsibility. Children, understand. You say, well, give my child responsibility. They're not ready yet. I know they're not. I I let Austin mow the lawn every once in a while. Now, I don't know about you, but I like those nice straight lines in the lawn. But when you let a nine-year-old mow the lawn, do you think you're going to get those nice, pretty straight lines? Oh, no. But is it good character and responsibility that, hey, the lawn's your responsibility? Absolutely. Do you know it helps his self-esteem? Everybody's talking about, oh, good, healthy self-esteem. I don't want to squelch their self-esteem. Do you know teaching them and giving them a power tool for a young man gives them better self-esteem? Say, hey, that's a powerful lawnmower. Don't ever stick your finger on it. It'll take your fingers off. It'll trim more than your fingernails. Don't ever stick a toe under that. You'll lose a couple toes. And you're just teaching this responsibility. It's very healthy, these, these things for a child. Because we, get, we have to understand that pressure is found, and it's found in age-appropriate responsibility. Can I just say that, parents? We can find pressure in age-appropriate responsibility. David is the shepherd of the sheep. Is he the shepherd of all the sheep? Scripture doesn't tell us. But they gave him an age-appropriate responsibility. Do your children have age-appropriate responsibilities? Or is this just something where, hey, I just put a roof over the head, I pay their medical bills? No, these are things that guard against entitlement in our children. Today we see a very entitled generation. And now we see entitled adults 
We see people, and it doesn't stop. And if parents would have taught responsibility, but instead we're not teaching personal responsibility. And because we're not teaching personal responsibility, we have a culture of victimhood. Everybody's a victim. Nobody takes responsibility. I'm, 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 I'm a victim. Why? Because I didn't get that promotion. They probably didn't promote me because I'm not as tall as them. Or, I didn't, or maybe could it be they didn't promote you because you didn't show up on time. Oh, no, no, I can't take personal responsibility. No, no, we need to teach the generation to take personal responsibility. And not only personal responsibility, personal accountability. You say, what do you mean personal accountability? My parents in my summers from the time I was 15 to about 21, I would go out and I would work at a ranch in the summertime. And I was from California, and I was 16 years old, and they hated anybody from California, okay? This is Tennessee. And they, just, they were just like, oh, man, here comes that city slicker, all right? They called me the urban cowboy, all right? So I'd go there, and they were like, we're going to give him the worst jobs. And oh, I was so mad that they're giving me all the hard jobs. I was like, I can't believe you guys are giving me all the dirty jobs. We had pigs, hogs, more or less. And anything the dining hall didn't use, all that nasty food, it went into a big bucket, and you slopped the hogs. And they'd make me carry the bucket and get in there. And it was the best character thing for me. And then in the summer, you had the humidity and the hot temperatures. We'd go buck hay. You say, what is bucking hay? There's a big, long tractor. And as it's driving through the alfalfa field, it's bailing these hay bales. And they would drop. And then you have another tractor. And it would have a flatbed on it. And you'd grab these bales of hay. Now, a bale of hay is typically 40 to 50 pounds. But this is in the morning, so it's soaking wet. So these bales of hay are now 70 to 80 pounds. Look at me. Do I look like I even weigh 70 to 80 pounds? And I was 15, 16 years old. And they were like, come on, urban cowboy. Come on. And I was like, all right, I'm trying, I'm trying. And they had these metal wires that were tearing your skin. And so I'd be trying to get gloves and everything. We would do that from 6 in the morning all the way till it got dark. And it was the best thing for me. It was the best thing for me. Teach you hard work and character. And today... We wonder why our kids are lacking in character. Where are we building them up? And this isn't the coach's responsibility. This isn't the teacher's responsibility. Hey, it's not even the pastor's responsibility. It's my responsibility to teach you God's word, to say, hey, God's not looking at these outward. And yet, what are we doing? We're parenting third base first, competence. We're parenting success first. We're parenting, hey, you got to look right. you got to have the talk down, and we won't worry about character. And then we wonder why we've got so many Barry Madoffs in the world that have no problem wiping out people's 401K. We have no problem lying about what's happening in other parts of the country. What happened? Because we parented for success. And are these people successful? Yes, but we can't stand them. You ever met a successful person that you just can't stand being around because they have no character? Because they have no character, they don't have any self-restraint. Because they have no self-restraint, they abuse their community. And you wonder why nobody wants to be their friend, nobody wants to be around them. See, we got to start here. You say, well, Johnny's just different. Johnny doesn't get around with those other kids. Hey, guess what? There's always going to be people we don't get along with, but Johnny's got to figure out how to get along. And yet you just say, no, no, I just pull him out of that school and I put him here. No, no, this is practical stuff, and you guys get it. I don't need to, I don't need to lecture you. I don't need to. But that pressure of these environments, that pressure of being a shell, uh, uh, shepherd, that was good for David. Hey, later on in the next chapter, he goes on and talks about not just pressure, but problems. You know what problems David encountered as a shepherd? He told King Saul, he said, one time a bear came after the sheep and a lion came after the sheep. And what did he do? Call 911? No. Go get dad and say, I quit. I'm turning in my, forget the two-week notice. You're getting the two-minute notice. There was a bear and a lion. Where is that? Where's OSHA? All right? There's, there, there's got to be a rule that bears and lions are not allowed in the work environment, Okay? 
But did he do that? No. The Bible says that David slew the bear and the lion. Now, age-appropriate responsibility. All right, Timmy, you're five years old. Here's the San Francisco Zoo lion pin. There you go. Age-appropriate responsibility. The father thought he was. Now, here's the other side with David. He's got a problem. You say, what's David's problem? We don't know if David was invited to the feast. But I've been to near Bethlehem when I went to Israel in 2010. Bethlehem is just six miles outside of Jerusalem. It's a very small community. You could see it. But imagine back then, even smaller community. And when the prophet came to town, everybody knew the prophet was there. So David's tending the sheep. He's not miles away because they're able to get him in time for the story, at a time where they didn't wait long for the feast. So imagine if you're David, and you're thinking, wow, they invited everybody to the feast but me. And this is where our culture lands. Everybody's getting promoted. Everybody's got it better. Everybody's got it easier. And David could have done that. But David was in the field. It would have been one thing to say, hey, I'll go find a servant. Because in chapter 17, he does find a servant to watch this sheep. So we knew David knew how to recruit and enlist people in chapter 17. He knows that, hey, I can find someone to watch the sheep. But he said, hey, this is my responsibility. This is my problem. I don't get to go to the feast. But even though you may not be in the feast, God can find you in the field. And David is plucked from the pasture. You see, what happens now is some of us, we think, God, I'm developing character, but I'm just developing character, and nobody knows how hard I work. Nobody knows that I get there early on Sundays, and, and I set up the church, and I get up there, and I set up rich kids. Nobody notices, nobody notices, and nobody cares. I'm telling you, God said, I haven't picked any of these, but I'm looking for a man of character, and that's the one I want to anoint as the next king. God can find you at your business. He can find you at your home as you just be a man or woman of character. He says, hey, day in and day out, I'm faithful. I don't need to be invited to the feast because one day I'll get invited. And at that feast, guess what's going to happen? I'm not just going to get invited to the feast. I'm going to be crowned king. That the promotion can happen. But we've got to be faithful in the field. But we aren't teaching the character to help young people to be faithful in the field. What's happening now? Kids are like, oh, man, I'm going to change this major and that job, and I'm going to bounce here and I'm going to bounce there. There's no character to just say it's hard. Hey, parenting is hard. It's difficult. Some of you got toddlers and infants, and you haven't slept in 37 days, and you're just like, I wish I could lay down, and I wish they would stop crying and weren't so colicky, or I've got toddlers, or I've got teenagers, and it's exhausting, and it's what you're called to, and it'd be real easy to say, I just want to check out, and I'm just going to leave it up to the government, because the government will raise your kids. You can put them in foster care. You can do that nowadays, sadly, and some of you have experienced that. Or you've experienced what it looks like for an absent parent who said, hey, I never got to live the life I wanted to, so now I'm going to go party it up now. You have little kids at home, and they're not listening to you. They're watching you, and they're going to follow your example. And we wonder how we're going to break the chain of absenthood fathers. You say, well, I worked 70 and 80 hours. Guess what? Carve out time to be with your children. Be intentional, like we said last week. Take intentional time and say, hey, these are my children. Nobody else gets another shot. This is my opportunity to invest into them. And God can see that character and develop that because you will have problems. But God is using those problems to develop our character. Everybody else was invited, but God knew he was out there. God knew he was in the field. And God knew that David's been faithful day in and day out. But sadly, we live in a culture that's ruled, ruled or maybe you grew up in an environment that was ruled by discipline without emotion. And that's inhumane. You ever, you ever grown up in that home where dad's belt was the rule of law? Or maybe I was in a school that the parents could sign a waiver where they could paddle the kids. And I begged my parents, do not sign that waiver. 
do not sign that waiver because I know I got enough paddlings at home. I was like, oh, great, now it's school. That was my one reprieve, eight hours of no paddling. And this school would paddle. They, they had this really long paddle, and they drilled holes through it, making more aerodynamic. Oh, man. They'd, and they put a little Bible verse, the rod of correction on it. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. The rod of correction applied to the seat of knowledge is what they would say, okay? And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And this school, they just had that one person who just, I think, loved to dole out spankings. And then they would love to grab you by the little flap of your ear. You ever had that teacher? That pick you up by that? Oh, that's when, that's, that's what education used to be like. Yeah, that's, that's how it used to be, right? They'd pick you up by your little ear and everything. You got in trouble. Now, that is inhumane. Let's be honest. That's inhumane. Rule, discipline without emotion is inhumane. But notice this. Rules by emotion without discipline is immature. Rules. By emotion, without discipline, is immature. We live in a society that says if it feels good, do it. And that isn't a cliche. That is the commandment. If it feels good, do it. If it feels good, just do it. And we are now in a society that that, that's, if you study the book of Judges, at the end of the book of Judges, says every man did that which was right in his own eyes, you're starting to see that unfold in our culture, in our society, in our world, globally. That everybody just does what they want. You want to go get a purse for $950? You go get yourself a purse for $950. No consequences. You may get a traffic ticket, I think, is the most they can do. But we let now live in a world that everybody can just, and where is it going to stop? We say, well, it's got to stop at the, at the legislator's office. And I say, no, it's got to start deeper than that. It's you and I saying, hey, this next generation is not going to turn out like this generation. That this generation, we're going to raise up children differently. We are going to be a balance. You see, teaching our children that their feelings are not the determining factor of what is right and what is wrong is pivotal. But we are letting feelings dictate. Don't let your desires make your decisions. So we need to be ruled by emotion with discipline, and that's maturity. And then for sake of time, let's look at the last one. God uses people. Notice, Charisma gets the attention of man. We see that, what did, what did Samuel notice in verse 6? He said, look at Eliab. He's strong, he's tall, he's handsome. So charisma gets the attention of man. But notice this, character gets the attention of God. Verse 12, so he sent word and brought him. Now he was reddish with beautiful eyes and handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. At first, I thought, wait a minute, God, you did it. You, you said, don't look on the outward, but yet you give us the outward details of David. What God is letting us know, that David had the character as well as countenance. He was the complete package. That he had developed his character. He wasn't just going to be the type of person that says, I just chase success. You see, you need to understand, your children can be a balance of both. They can be good looking. They can be smart. They can be talented. They can be good because we want children that are confident, just not arrogant. That's a fine balance as parents. You want children that have self-esteem, but you don't want that self-esteem to rule. So here is David and scripture is basically letting us know that he has a balance. The measure of a person's character is what he or she would do if they were never to be found out. And David had a lot of time in the field. And there's a lot of things David could have done. David could have, hey, some passing caravan. Why not sell some sheep, make some money on the side? Why not sell some of the wool to those guys? 
hey, why don't I just slack off and let some, uh, that bear and that lion eat a few sheep? I'm tired. I don't want to do any more fighting. But even though he was alone, he still was developing his character. You see, character development should never stop. Yes, we're raising children. Yes, we're pouring into the next generation. But our character development should never stop. There shouldn't be a time where we're just like, no, I'm done with character. No, we should always be developing our character. But trust the fact that God sees what no one else could see. God is not against countenance, but it can't be all there is. We have to be raising children that we let them know that God sees you in the field. And this is what they're going to say, Mom and Dad, everybody else is going to that party. Yeah, and I know you're not. You're going to miss out on that party. Because I don't trust those people. I don't trust what's going to happen there. That's not good for your character. Oh, Mom, Dad, everybody else is doing this. I know they are. You live in a culture where you need to be counterculture. Mom, Dad, everybody else, they're all, they're all taking it. They're all doing those things. Yeah, I know. And our home is different. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We are going to choose a different path. And it's not the path of least resistance. It's a hard path. My friend, I am fearful for what my children have to face. I look at the world as it is, and I'm fearful for the very first time. I love hearing the stories of people just a few years older than me, not older, older, but just a few years older than me, how they talk about how it's so safe at night. You didn't lock your doors. You walk to school. You go over to a friend's house. You could, you could go off and just go fishing and, and doing all kinds of fun things, enjoying being a kid. Nowadays, we're like, here's a phone. You're going to call me in five minutes. You're going to call me two minutes after that five minutes. I'm going to check in on you. I'm going to have the MyFind app. I want to know who you're with, when you're there, what you're going to do, and what you're going to eat. You got your EpiPen. You got your whistle. You got your pepper spray. You got your 45. Okay, you're set. <laughs> Send them off in the world prepared. But the world is changing. But God told us that we need to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. And yet we've got to train our kids to be ready for this next day. I don't know what's about to happen. I don't know the pressure they're going to face. But if they've learned how to deal with pressure, and pressure is simply the ability to sit with a negative emotion. You know that, right? That's all pressure is. How long can you sit there with a negative emotion and not react? It's like when you're in a pool and you sink to the bottom, you say, how long can I stay down here and hold my breath with all this pressure? And then the first time, you're like 27 seconds, and then 40 seconds, and then a minute. What's happening? Maturity is happening in our children. They learn how to sit there. Oh, I want that toy. I want to go to that party. I want to date that boy. I want to date that girl. I want to be here. But then I'm learning. I don't have to have it. And your child's self-esteem is growing because they have self-restraint. And children today are not being taught self-restraint. Because culture is not teaching them self-restraint. Culture is saying do something, but they are showing you something else. And it is not a culture of restraint. Why is it the most popular TV shows are those people that live without restraint? They're into drugs. They're into alcohol. They're into consumerism, materialism. They're into all illicit things. And our culture is just like, you can have it all. And we wonder why we're so miserable. No, no, no. Your self-esteem is tied to your self-restraint. And our children, you say, why doesn't my children have a strong self-esteem? Because they have no self-restraint. It's empowering when a kid can walk by a Snickers bar. They're like, yeah, I could have it. It's not healthy. I can have it later. You ever seen the marshmallow test? 
You ever seen that on YouTube? They tracked those people and how they're doing now. Their earning potential is greater. Their home lives are better. All because they knew how to have some self-restraint and not eat the marshmallow. Go watch it on YouTube. It's fascinating. It's the marshmallow study. They would set a marshmallow in front of a kid, and they said, hey, when I come back, I'll give you two if you didn't touch it. I should have brought the video for you. But understand that we live in a culture now that says character. We don't really need it. And it's why we're struggling. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed as we close this morning? Father, we need you. God, we need you more than we could possibly imagine. God, we live in a day day and age where there's no character left. It seems that everywhere you look, it just seems like you know they're being dishonest, but nobody cares. You know they're lying. You know it's not ethical, but yet nobody seems to care. And, Lord, we can curse the darkness or we can shine the light. And so, Father, help us in our church to just shine the light and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to do what's right. It's going to be hard. Yeah, it's going to be some barriers. But as we are doing right in the field and not going to the feast, you can find us in that field. And you can bless us. You can promote us. And so, Father, as you're using pressure, and problems and people to build character. Help us not to resist it, but help us to embrace it. With heads bowed and eyes closed, can I pray for the parents? Or maybe you say, hey, I'm under some pressure. I'm under some problems. I'm dealing with some people. Pastor, would you pray for me? If you slip up your hands, can I pray for you? Oh, I see those hands. Oh, God bless you in your honesty. God bless you. God bless you. Let me put your hands down. I want to pray for you. Father, you see these hands. You see these hearts. It is not easy being a parent nowadays being a grandparent or seeing where our culture is at or being a spiritual parent. But God, I pray that you would help us to have the tools to raise a home run generation, that we would run the bases correctly. So be with these parents, these grandparents, these people that are ministering and mentoring God. Give them supernatural strength, supernatural grace, supernatural mercy, supernatural favor. Help them to realize that though everybody else may be at the feast and the festival, you can find them as they're faithful in that field. So help them to stay in their field. Help them to stay faithful to what you called them. Help them to stay faithful in their marriages, faithful in their work, faithful in their church, faithful to their God. And help them, Father. It's not easy, but we pray for your power and we pray for your provision. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. Would you be seated just for a moment? We're about to wrap up our service, but I have a few closing announcements I'd like to make. Uh, If this is your first time at Southridge, I'd love for you to fill out this connection card. But I'm going to ask everybody in the church, would you just take a moment and just fill it out? And as the offering baskets are passed, would you just drop it in there? And you just update your information, or maybe you want to join a ministry, you have a prayer request. Maybe you say, I want to get baptized, or I want to join a life group, or I want to attend growth tracks. We would love to have you uh, be a part of that. And this is our way of communicating. This week, the pastors, we prayed over the prayer request. We reached out to people that were going through things. And we, we, we don't want you to feel like you're going through life alone. It's difficult these days, but we want you to feel that you've got family and people there to help you. But also, uh, we've got several other announcements coming up. And uh, just before that, I would love to invite you to a Labor Day barbecue. I'm doing an open house at my house tomorrow from noon to 5, and you're all invited. Now, it's from noon to 5, and why I like that is you can stay as little or as long But I shared in the huddle this morning that if you show up at 5.01, it's too late. The party shut down. I'll hand you a doggy bag. All right? It's from noon to 5. My kids have school on Tuesday, all right? And I got to clean up. But if you'd like to attend, we would like to have you. Say, what do I need to bring? Yourself. 
That's what you need to bring. Now, there are cards on the cocktail tables on your way out. Just grab it. I don't live far from here. I'm about two and a half miles from here. But there's an apartment complex behind me and a mobile home park to my right, which means on long weekends, all of those places park their vehicles and their clunkers in my cul-de-sac. So parking is sometimes a challenge. Those of you who've been over, you know that. There's a park and ride around the corner down the block. You can park there, and you can walk over, uh, or you just street parking, okay? And I put that on the card. My address is there from noon to 5, and uh, just show up or don't show up. It's totally up to you. We've got some new friends that are part of the church, and I'd love to hang out with you. So if you don't have anything going on, feel free to come on over. It'll be fun. I have the uh, uh, bounce house for the little ones. We've got a special bounce house, and then I have the trampoline set up for all the adults, okay? I know some of you adults love to get wild on a trampoline, so we'll have a great time, but uh, come on over. It's just casual, informal. You're invited over. Well, let me uh, prepare us for our offerings. We prepare to worship through our tithes and offering. And there's a scripture verse in Proverbs chapter number three. And I love this verse. It says, uh, simply this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Honoring God with what he's given to us. This is a portion that we're able to give back to what God has given to us. I'm going to pray over the offering. And as the Lord lays on your heart to contribute, you can contribute. But let me pray for our offering. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can gather and worship openly and freely. Our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan did not have such a blessing. They didn't have the freedom anymore to go walk out their door and go to a church and to worship and to practice their faith like we did. Help me, Father, to never take my freedom for granted, but help me to fight for my freedoms and help me to be faithful to what you've called us to. And so, Father, as we have opportunity to give back a portion of what you've given us, let us do so with joy and gladness, grateful for the fact that you've provided so much for us. We love you. We pray your blessing in the offering. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.